All right, welcome to another episode of Negative War, Positive Vibes. CJ Nikowski, Ryan Spielborg with you. Some pitcher signings as things start to be able to pick up here a little bit. It had been somewhat of a slow offseason, although we have seen some of the bigger guys signing like Yamamoto and certainly Shohei Otani. Uh, those were big ones that needed to happen. Uh, there's still some big names out there uh, like Josh Hader and others, but it's not just about uh, the free agency. It's also about the ability to trade and who's really available. And I don't know, Spilly, I felt like this one was a little bit of a surprise to me. Chris Sale going to the Atlanta Braves. Von Grissom is going to go from Atlanta to Boston and certainly a guy um, that we can get into a little bit who feels like he's about ready to be a big league player, but maybe not an everyday spot available to him in Atlanta for Chris Sale. He's got one year left on his contract. Uh, I believe it's just over $27 million, but the Braves are going to be getting 17 in return. So essentially what this is, is Vaughn Grissom going to Boston, Chris Sale coming back uh, for about $10.5 million. So it's a, a one for 10. Essentially, there is a vesting option that I don't think he has any chance of getting to. It has more to do with Cy Young Award finishes, those kinds of things. Uh, but we had talked a lot about the Atlanta Braves maybe looking for a controllable starter. Uh, that is not the case here. They trade Vaughn Grissom to Boston to acquire Chris Sale for what looks like probably going to be just the one year. Feels like a good baseball trade, right? Uh, I mean, like it's also kind of strange because uh, earlier in the year, Tyler O'Neill was traded from St. Louis to Boston. Uh, I'm kind of curious if, if Chris sales name was thrown in, in that original deal to, uh, to St. Louis, because St. Louis could have probably used a starter like Chris sale too. Um, it, it feels because when you start digging into Chris Sale's season a year ago and, and sales gone through quite some stuff, right? Like mm. back in 2022, he comes back from Tommy John throws in one start and then breaks his finger. Uh, if I remember it was like a biking accident or, or he got mad. I don't know. It was one of those two things last year through in 102 innings pitched. Um, he's still trying to, you know, shake the rust off, but 125 strikeouts and 102 innings, 87 hits. He's still really hard to square up. So, mm. Um, I like it from the Braves perspective. You can, you can add them into a, a relatively, uh, in the case of the Braves, like I, I don't think they're starting rotation. You know, you, you have the high end with, with Max Freed, who same thing kind of coming off of injury. Uh, he's a year away from free agency and Spencer Strider. And then you want to see like, well, what else is going to happen? So I like that you can add Chris sale. He's going to be 35 this year. Uh, and in the case of Von Grissom, I, this was, uh, to me, this is like a, again, like it's a win-win from the Braves perspective because Grissom gets a chance to play somewhere else where he's blocked with the Braves. I mean, he's blocked. Mm -hmm. Orlando Arcia took that job from him. You remember that was the last day of spring training too. Yeah. Like everybody thought it was going to be Vaughn's job at shortstop. And, and we just knew because the numbers and the metrics, they, they kind of played it out. He wasn't a strong defensive infielder. Uh, he, he can improve. I think there's a chance for him to improve. Part of the reason why he's going to improve is he's going to go play second base next year, uh, with the Red Sox. So there's a chance for him not to be in that, that main position at short, but with the Braves, you can't move, uh, can't put Orlando. I, I mean, you can't put, uh, uh, Ozzie Albies in a different spot. So where are you going to play Vaughn? You have Austin mm -hmm. Riley, you have Orlando Arcia, you have Ozzie Albies, any guy. And you have Matt Olson, and you're not going to put him in the outfield. So uh, this one makes a ton of sense from the Braves position to move on from Vaughn, get something in return, which is Chris Sale, which is tons of upside. 
you trade a player that wasn't going to play for you, and you, you get Chris Sale for $10 million. Like, it's Alex Anthopoulos does it all the time, right? And then it also makes me wonder about some of these other teams out there. Like, what are you doing? We haven't seen the Chicago Cubs do squat. You're telling me Chris Sale couldn't have been a Cub for the same type of deal? Mm. They didn't have a player in their organization that they could have done? Uh, so anyways, I, I I mean, like, there's a couple teams out there. Baltimore, I felt like, could have made this deal with any one of their number of prospects. Uh, and it didn't, and obviously, in Vaughn Grissom's case, I don't consider him a prospect, CJ. You kind of know what he can do. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fair. We talk about prospect, and when do you actually shed that? Uh, of course, a lot of times it's whether or not you still have uh, rookie uh, status as far as the actual official term uh, when we talk about that. But in the case of Vaughn Grissom, uh, there have been some opportunities for him at the big league level, and you you can see it. You can see what he's capable of. Uh, currently now, he's only 22. He'll be 23 here in a little bit. So he'll be a 23-year-old kid uh, with about 94 days of service time in, uh, looking at parts of the last two years where he had 41 games and then 23 last year. He's shown that he can hit. Now, no home runs last year in his 80 plate appearances. Uh, the numbers at AAA, uh, pretty, he's not a power hitter necessarily, but the numbers were solid. He was playing in the International League, hitting 330 with a 419 on base. That was good for a 921 OPS as a 22 year old in AAA. Like to me, that is certainly worth um, looking at. You mentioned how there really was no opportunities for him in the infield. Now, he was playing winter ball in Puerto Rico, and the conversation prior to this trade uh, regarding him and the Braves was he was going to learn the outfield, play the outfield, and perhaps uh, maybe not, certainly not a full platoon, but get an opportunity either to compete with Jared Kelnick for left field, which I don't think would have been much of a competition. Kelnick's upside is a lot higher. Uh, but then it also came down to, you know, would that be potential platoon spot? Uh, so maybe that helps a little bit with his trade value as well. He played seven games out there um, in left field. He also played some third base. Um, again, we kind of think of him as a little bit as, as somewhat of a middle infielder. It sounds like probably with Boston, that opportunity will come over uh, at second base, right? That's probably where the, the opening is. And so he'll be the first guy at least to have the shot there um, in Boston with the Red Sox. I wonder for their fans. Right. Obviously, he was there on that five-year deal, and they're watching their offseason. We've talked about this on MLB Network Radio regarding the Boston Red Sox and wondering, is there a big move um, that they're going to make? And so these two things kind of go hand-in-hand uh, hand a little bit, where one is on the way out, but one is on the way in. And so I don't, I don't know if it feels like a wash, necessarily, when you start to look at this team overall. Uh, but Lucas Giolito is now a Boston Red Sox. So just when they added a guy to get them a little bit deeper, they took one away, and maybe they're okay with that because they like having Grissom more than they do Sale in their rotation. Uh, it's kind of interesting how this thing has worked out, though, and the timing of it all. Well, and I'm not sure how much you scrolled through X yesterday. Uh, I, let's just say the Red Sox front office and ownership has not been well-received so far this offseason, and I'll explain why You know, people are kind of like reacting this way. Um, first off, you know, like there, there's like, you know, the, the anonymous agent wondering why the Red Sox are, uh, acting like a small market team. Mm -hmm. I don't know who the heck the, who's talking about this. And I, I usually, um, I, I usually just like skim right past anybody that says it's an anonymous person. Cause I, there's no validity to it. There's no way to fact check it. Uh, but I, I think if you think of some of the moves that they've made, they haven't been making, you know, the big, big moves, which is fine. Um, you know, the big, the big, you know, of this off season, it was Tyler O'Neill trade from the Cardinals. Now that's the big, the big move. You, you have like a bunch of minor league contracts. 
And so with Lucas Giolito, Giolito's nowhere near the high-end free agent starting pitcher. He's an he's an innings eater coming off two pretty brutal years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I also am very high on him because I think I think that it's just a, a repertoire change. I like I wanted him of of any team to go to was Tampa Bay, and the reason why was because I I think I told you this the other day when we were doing radio. If you dig into Lucas Giolito's history. When he was coming up with the Washington Nationals, he was known to have the the organization's best curveball. The curveball, when he first made it to the big leagues, was using it close to 20%. That pitch is down below 5% now. He doesn't use it at all. And what we've learned trend-wise in Major League Baseball is that the curveball has become, along with the split finger, the hardest pitches to hit. And what it allows you to do if you're Lucas Giolito, because he he developed the changeup and the changeup ended up being a nice little pitch for him, um, you can have a bigger spread in velocities. Mm-hmm. So if you have a four seam fastball and a slider and they're kind of similar in speeds, you give a you give a hitter a chance to kind of time you up. So if you make a, you you make a terrible slider, I can I can hammer that pitch for a homer or I can extra base hit you. When you have a fastball changeup combination. Now, if you if you throw the changeup enough, and my number has always been twenty five percent, if you can get that changeup usage close to twenty five percent, I can't, I can't sit on your fastball. I just can't because mm. I have to recognize the pitch first, and then see if that's the changeup or the fastball. And so now you got me off of a fastball with just using your changeup. And so my point is, if Giolito goes back to the four seam fastball, the changeup, and now he's adding the curveball back into the repertoire. You don't have to live on the edges. You can pitch straight forward, and there's enough discrepancy in your pitches that no hitter is ever comfortable. So that's that's the thing is is hitters, when I watched them last year, right-handed hitters specifically, they were just wailing away. Mm. There was not there wasn't enough separation between his pitches to ever get anybody uncomfortable. And so I would love to see what ends up happening in Boston with him. I think kind of go back to what your strengths are. Uh, I think he's a really good bounce back candidate, but you're talking about, about a bounce back CJ for the Red Sox. So that's where a lot of the fans bringing it full circle where the fans are like, so is the Giolito our ace like, or is it Pavetta or is it Brian Bayo? Bayo has the, the ace stuff. Like what is he for us? So you're bringing back somebody on a, on a friendly two-year deal where there's incentive for him to pitch well. Uh, if he doesn't pitch well, he can still stay there, which I don't know if that's a good thing or not. And if he does end up pitching really well, he's going to opt out. So I don't, I like the, the structure of the deal in a sense. I like the upside of Giolito, but for a Red Sox fan, this can't be, this isn't like, you know, really like wetting your whistle. This isn't mm-hmm. like, priming you for like a big year that we're going to be able to take down the Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays and the Baltimore Orioles and the Toronto Blue Jays. It just doesn't feel that way based on the last two seasons that Giolito has had. Yeah, no, it's fair. And the home runs have been a real problem. 41 of those 
a year ago. And so now you go into a place uh, where you mentioned there were some struggles there uh, and some of those swings that we saw from righties now and lefties. But the righties hit 24 of those 41 home runs, 17 against um, the lefties. Uh, high OPS across the board, just a tick under 800, which is a huge number uh, for him. He's not a ground ball pitcher. Uh, and you bring up a really fascinating point about the curveball. I'll be curious what the Red Sox see. Uh, where they are from their breakdown of it and where the conversations go. Because as you mentioned, this is a two-year deal, uh, but he could opt out. And so, and he's obviously a very cerebral guy. We've talked to him before, as we know, very well in tune with everything that he does. And you wonder, okay, does he have a plan? But then as you go there, and obviously they've probably already had some of these conversations prior to signing. Hey, what are you seeing? What's your evaluation? Uh, where do you think this thing needs to be ahead to kind of get me back on track and see if it lines up what he thinks? Not that he, I, don't, I don't doubt that he has a plan um, as well. That's really important to make sure that everybody's on the same page because he'd like to put up a really good year and opt out. Obviously, we thought this was going to be a bigger opportunity for him a couple of years ago as he got closer to free agency. But because of some of those struggles, obviously not the case. It's still a really nice deal, right? We can collect over $38 million. But I think for him, it's about really having that bounce back year. And picking Boston as the place to do it uh, certainly could be a challenger. In that American League East, there's certainly good lineups there. Baltimore is the real deal. As we know, the Yankees pick up Juan Soto. He mentioned the struggles that he had with lefties. So I'd be very curious to see what the pitch breakdown um, looks like. Uh, you mentioned uh, that curveball, uh, 1.5% usage last year. And we've seen him as high as, what, I think 11%, 12% maybe in some of those better years where he was using it um, yeah, a lot more. Like his very first year with Washington, I think it was it was almost 20%. It was like 18 point something percent. Yeah. So oh, uh, yeah. that's, I mean, and, and if you were using it that much, I mean, that, that was your pitch that you used from when he was in high school with, uh, you know, with Jack Flaherty and uh, Max Freed, you know, like that's the the famous, uh, you know, high school team that did win a CIF championship in California. But I mean, that was that's his pitch. Yeah, that was his best weapon through the minor leagues and into the big leagues. And when you have a curveball that you can spin, because that's the biggest thing is sometimes if if like you could get guys to swing and miss through curveballs in the lower minor league systems, right? Like you have players that just, they they've never seen a curveball in their life, especially one with depth. Um, but as you get older and better, you know, the, the, the front, the front door or the curveball with a hump in it, you know, where it, it pops up out of your hand. It, it triggers the eyesight of a hitter. Like I, I used to tell you one of my biggest educations in baseball was playing winter baseball in Mexico. And the reason why was Mexico is a curveball league. There's a lot of curveballs in Mexico. Mm. And what I learned, what I learned there is you get the, the hump curveball. So the one that pops up uh, and your eyes pick it up, those are the ones you swing at. And that's like for major leaguers, they fire on those pitches because they're elevated. They're already up. And once you see it, your brain knows it you take your swing and that's, it's an extra base hit. So the, the good curveballs, and you know, you hear about the wipeout curveballs, especially later on in account are the ones that don't have the hump. They don't pop up. So they start, you know, same arm angle as your, or same height as the fastball or your change up. And then that's where you get the check swings or you get the swing throughs. So for me, if, if I'm Giolito, you know, because a lot of times guys with their curveballs are using it to steal a strike. Right. Like they're trying to like, uh, here we go. I get to steal a strike right here. Um, and that's how I feel like he was using it in years past and hitters are too 
They're too smart for that now. You throw the hump curveball, it gets whacked. So it's just re it's reusing it and reconfiguring it. So rather than use it to steal strikes, you use it to just throw hard, you know, throw it off your fastball, you change it, but you get check swings and you use it at any point. Um, it's a it's a way to keep uh, hitters from being overly aggressive off the fastball too. Yep. No, I'm with you on that one. Uh, can't wait to see how that works out uh, for him. Some real struggles against the righties, especially on his fastball. They got to his fastball really good. All right, last one real quick. Uh, Frankie Montas uh, signed a deal. Of course, we didn't see him pitch at all. We say at all. An inning and a third at the very end of the season for the New York Yankees, but he essentially missed uh, 2023 when he was good uh, with the Oakland A's. This was a really nice arm with that good split finger that he had. It just didn't work out for him in New York. Eight games that he had in 22, uh, nearly a six and a half ERA. I mentioned just the inning and a third uh, that he threw. I liked to trade at the time. It just didn't happen. It didn't work out. He couldn't stay healthy, but he gets a one-year deal uh, to sign now here with the uh, Cincinnati Reds. Apparently, the range is somewhere $15, $16 million on this one-year deal for a guy essentially who did not pitch uh, last year. Hoping he can bounce back. This could be a nice little ad here for the Cincinnati Reds. We've talked a lot about them last year and wondering where they're going to make the move. They didn't make it. The big one that maybe we were looking for to help them out and to have some veterans. Well, now they have Frankie Montas. Now they have Nick Martinez and the Cincinnati Reds. They're not the biggest moves, um, but I like this one. No such thing as a bad one-year deal. Frankie Montas with Hunter Green and Ashcraft somewhere in the middle there. Um, I think this is a good piece for the Cincinnati Reds. I do too. It's it's just my concern always is with shoulder injuries and and oftentimes that you see the shoulder injury, it's a it's a year, two, sometimes three years for players to bounce back from from that just because of the strength in, in the shoulder isn't quite what it was uh pre-injury. So um in the case of Montas, he's he's gonna be 31. And, you know, you're, you're very dependent on a lot of movement. Like that's, you know, Frankie's sinker is, is pretty special when he's right. Uh, so, and that's a lot of strain on the shoulder too. So we'll see. I mean, I, I love these buy low candidates. I love guys that have the chance for upside, but this can't be, if I'm Cincinnati, the, like there's gotta be another one in there. Like this is great organizational depth with the chance that he takes off. Uh, but I mean, if that, if you're telling me that's your big free agent sign, I'm not happy about that. Uh, I want something a little bit more, you know, like, is it a Marcus Stroman? Fine. Like I'll take a Marcus Stroman there too. Mm. Um, you know, like I just, I need one, I need something that I can count on. Uh, yeah. you cannot count on a guy that's coming off of shoulder injury. No, I know it. And that is always one of the concerns when it, uh, when it comes to signing a pitcher, the shoulder versus the elbow, uh, has you pause just a little bit, but hopefully Frankie Montas, he showed it at the end of the year is healthy and can help the Cincinnati Reds. Things starting to pick up here a little bit. The next time you can hear Spilly and I on the radio side on loud outs on MLB network radio will be January 2nd, uh, the day after new year. So hopefully everybody will be well recovered and ready to kind of chime in and who knows what will happen. Uh, even before then, it's certainly starting to feel like maybe, uh, things are picking up. As always, thank you for listening to the Negative War, Positive Vibes podcast.